Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in week three of our series, The Way, Keep the Way, and I just want, I want to tell you, it's exciting what God's already doing in our lives in this message as we really look at this um, this passage of the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. And in the last week or two, we've been looking at a few things. We notice that Jesus is using contrast throughout the Sermon on the Mount to really get the attention of the masses as well as the religious leaders of the day. And, and in the first week, we saw that he, we use this illustration. I, I, I talked about a master instructor of art, that sometimes some of the students who are great at art, they're they're just not getting something. They're kind of stuck on something. And so what a master instructor will do is he'll bring a faulty design and a correct, a righteous, a a really true design and put them both there. And then the young artists can look at both. And then clearly, as a moment of epiphany, all of a sudden they see the difference between a faulty and a correct design. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is literally saying, here's a faulty design. You have heard it, it has been said, but I say to you. Right? And he's given us contrast between right and wrong. And then in week two, we, we found out all the well, in week one, we found out all those people who were blessed. And it seems like the ones who were all broken, the ones who've been persecuted, the ones who have been humble and meek, and, and the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, all, all these will, will inherit the earth and inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, they're all going to be super blessed. Well, this group looks like to, to the religious leaders of the day, this is the broken group. And we're supposed to just ignore the broken group. You know, like the island of misfits, remember Christmas? You know that, that cartoon? And everybody kind of looks at them like they're just broken. They're no good. Let's just ignore them. And yet Jesus says, as we covered in last week, that's the group who I say, they're the salt of the earth. They're actually the light of the world. As a matter of fact, this broken group, you are the group that I can use to advance the kingdom of God and its teaching. Not the big righteous ones with the big education and all of their experience. He says, no, no, no. Just real people. You're perfect. But I got a limp. I'm broken. Oh, it's perfect. Why? Because you've got a story. And your story is going to connect with somebody else. And when you start sharing your story about how hurtful it was or how great God rescued you and then shows it to somebody else, it gives them hope. Just like it gave you hope when you heard somebody else's story. So the island of misfits, perfect for the gospel. So that's where we've been. Now we're in 
week three, and, and really this is about, I call, keep the way. So again, welcome, and if you're listening to us via podcast, we just want to say thank you for joining us, and we pray that this message would help you take your next step closer to Christ. So have you ever thought recently about the motives, I'm going to get real personal here, of your heart. How important it is that Marvin's actions are actually lining up to my heart. You know, to be truthful, and if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been a hypocrite in our life at some point in time if not many times. You know, where one minute we're singing worship songs to the Lord and the next minute we're taking off to go to the restaurant some car cuts us off and, well, we, we tell them to read between the lines as we lift up our fingers. Hello? You see what I'm saying? On one hand, we're, we're, we're quoting a, a, a Scripture and the next thing we're mad as all get out because of that political person on the TV. We can be hypocritical. Maybe you can't, but, but I know I have been. Anybody else ever, ever been hypocritical in your life? Okay. And the rest of you, we're praying for you. You see, on some level, this is what it means to be living as a human in a fallen world where we're being formed and sanctified as we follow Jesus. Even the disciples messed up. They denied him three times, right, Peter? All of them denied him the same night of him being crucified. So, so in our passage for today, we're seeing Jesus giving us more contrast to look at and the kind of contrast that points to the issues of the heart. So let's look at this. Go with me to um, Matthew chapter 5. We'll start at verse 21. And there's a little bit of reading here, folks, to verse 37. So follow along as I read out loud. Verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. And then check this part out. But I say. Now that is just phenomenal. He's saying that all of the the generals of the faith have said this, Moses and all these kind of guys, and and the religious leaders who are the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. He says, you have heard, they have all said this. And then he says these little words, but I say, whoa, what? Are, Are you saying you're superior to them? And then you find out in chapter 7, which is a couple chapters from now, the very end of it all, everybody said he spoke as one of authority, unlike the scribes or the religious leaders of the day. He's doing something that has never been done before. So what does he say when he says, but I say to you? Verse 22, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. What? I mean, I didn't actually kill him. He says, yeah, but it was in your heart. 
If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Whoa, Jesus? So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, well, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer or a tormentor, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Folks, that, that may not mean much to us in our culture, but in that culture, it meant how are you going to get out to make some money to pay off your debt? You're in prison. How, how does that work? You don't get bail bondsmen. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa! I just looked, Lord, I didn't do nothing! And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's your heart. He's changed the rules from saying it's all about activity and action to if it's in your heart, you've already done it. Whoa. He went from this standard down low to this standard that that's impossible. But that's where he's going with this. Verse 29, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Well, that's kind of extreme. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, like me, I'm left-handed, causes you to sin, cut it off. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did he just say, take my hand, cut my hand off? Yeah, he did. Cut it off and... <laughs> And throw it away? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body be thrown into hell. You have heard. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife and merely given her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven. Because heaven... So let, me, let me kind of give you a little background here. So the religious leaders of the day, they, they had this little scheme going on. They'd walk over to Bruce and say, hey, Bruce, I know you got this issue going on, and, but all you have to do is, you know, hand me a little bit of something, something over here. Thank you. No, no, a little more, a little more. And all you got to do is, is pray by, by heaven. 
or, or, or pray by the temple. So if you swear by heaven or if you swear by the temple or swear by some of these other things, it's all going to be good. You'll be fine with God. They're making up this rule. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus is catching them out. He's calling them out. He's exposing these guys. And in the, watch what he says. Let's finish up here. Just basically he's saying, just say yes or just say no. So here we go. Because heaven is God's throne, verse 35, and do not say by earth, I swear by the earth, because the earth is his or God's footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, I'll swear by Jerusalem. No, 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 for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Well, look at my hair. I can get a lot of white ones. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this, catch this, anything beyond this, swearing by Jerusalem, by heaven, by the temple, anything beyond this is evil. It's from the evil one. Wow. Man, we just covered a lot of ground right there. So Jesus addresses, he addresses anger and adultery, a divorce, and, he, and even your promises, your oath. And any one of these sections could be a sermon all by itself. But I think I want to do today is go to the heart of the matter, the core of what is Jesus trying to get at. How many know that you can get lost and you can't really see the forest because of the stupid trees? Know what I'm talking about? And so the tree is great because it's part of the forest, but we can get so caught up with these little things here about, you know, hey, anger and, and, and calling my, my, my brother a fool or an idiot. We can look at these things and they're like the trees and we can't see the forest. We can't see the big picture. What is Jesus overall trying to say? And that's what I'm hoping we'll begin to see today. In our passage from Matthew, we see that many of our issues really stem from the heart, the mind, and the mouth. Anger is often a heart issue. Adultery, it stems from the heart. But that also has a lot to do with what we allow to live in our mind. Making an oath or a promise is a matter of of the heart, the mind, or the mouth. What we say matters. And the New Testament writer in James, well, James, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It's cor it corrupts the whole body and sets a whole course of one's life on fire, and it's set on fire by hell. Isn't this the craziest thing how James talks about the tongue? Yeah, this part is a small member of our body. The tongue is a small member of our body, yet it literally can dictate whether I go to heaven or hell. It's like the big boat with the little rudder James talks about. There's this massive boat, but without this little bitty rudder in the back, it can't go right or left. There's this little, little spark from this little, little match, and it makes this massive forest fire. It's the tongue. What you say to your spouse, what you say to your kids, 
It matters. It matters, not just in the negative, but in the positive ways. The way you speak hope and future to your child can launch them in a dream they would have never gone after because you built confidence in them. It matters. If we fight the good fight, the good fight of faith, and we keep the way of Christ, we must be mindful of the heart, of the mind, of our mouth. So here, again, in the same passage, Matthew 5, 21 through 37, Jesus is helping us to see that it's not just a matter of following the rules, but it's a matter of keeping vigilant with our hearts. I have taught my family, my children, and I have taught my churches I've ever pastored, you need to monitor your heart, not your behavior. We live in a culture that says you got to monitor your behavior. Just play the part when you're out in public. Act like you're a certain thing. But on the inside, you're nowhere near that. That's when people call Marvin a hypocrite. And the same with you. You see, if I monitor my heart, and I teach my kids to try to monitor their heart, that when they're away from me, which is most of the time as they get older and older, then their heart, if it's being monitored to be in alignment with the things of God, behaves according to the things of God. But if my heart has secrets and it's ugly and it's, it's full of darkness before you know it, I'm doing this thing over here that's conniving and scheming. And I'm over here and I'm, and I'm gossiping and slandering. Why? Because my heart is ugly. How's your heart? How's your heart? What are you feeding your heart? Do you know you feed your heart through your mind? Write that one down. You feed your heart with your mind. What you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to, how you fellowship, your activities and engaging with the body of Christ, that is feeding the heart. How do I feed it? Or am I starving my my heart that loves Jesus? we got to be willing to fight the good fight to keep the way of Christ and to press on through every trial, through every adversary and adversity. That's the kind of heart Jesus wants us to have. So, let's look at what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. I want to know Christ, Paul says. Now, now this is a guy who wrote more than half of the New Testament, and he says, I want to know Christ! What's he understanding? The more he gets to know his heart, he's realizing, oh man, oh wretched man that I am, right? Romans chapter 7, right? He's realizing this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, 
or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What Paul is saying is that, yes, I want to know Christ more deeply, more profoundly. But also, he's saying, when I'm in relationship with the Father, when I'm in relationship with Jesus, it's a long journey. Sanctification is not like salvation. Salvation went bam! And I'm saved. I'm part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. But sanctification comes with completely different. Why? I'm doing really good. Bam! I did something dumb. I did really, really good. Went a little farther. Bam! I did something dumb. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you get so naive and thinking something's wrong with you that you go, I'm not even sure if I'm really a Christian, if I even God exists. Why? Because I'm doing the yo-yo thing. Well, so did the disciples. So did great men of God. David was unbelievable. He took out a giant. And yet, he murdered the wife of the woman he had adultery with. He was a murderer and an adulterer. And yet, God says, he's a man after God's own heart. If you got troubles, you have a horrible case of the normals. And only Jesus can help fix us. The more I put my mind and my heart and my speech on Him, the better I become in my walk towards Him. This whole passage is revealing something. That walking the Christian walk without the Spirit of God, without Christ, it's impossible. It's why a lot of churches are empty. Because they don't see how it could be done. Stop trying to do it yourself. Why? Nobody can. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, Paul pushes through, through all the trials, through all the adversity. And Paul weathers the storms, both literally as well as in a metamorphic style. Paul continues in his pursuit for Christ. For some of us here today, this teaching in, in, in chapter 5, this is a difficult one. It's not easy. And some of the things Jesus is teaching, it sounds impossible. Like, just calling somebody an idiot? I may be going to hell? What are you saying? That I need to curb my anger and, and talking about gouging my eye and cutting off my hand? Many commentators, these scholars, when they look at this, they believe that these kind of statements that they're hyperbolic or they're inflated to point to a real truth is the overarching reality. And that is, hey Marvin, you don't have what it takes. 
But I got a lot of Bible degree stuff, and I've been reading the Bible for, for decades. I'm super smart about the Bible stuff. And he goes, you're not even close. You haven't even started yet. Why? Because this thing is so beyond all of us that without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, I am nothing. The ten, actually, we go in the, in the book of Genesis, God gave a commandment, just one. We couldn't even do that. We ate the stupid apple. Then we go forward into Exodus chapter 20, and then all of a sudden he says, Here's just ten. We went from one to ten, and we couldn't even do that. And then the religious leaders got smart and said, here's 613 Levitical laws. You just made it even harder. Folks, the sooner we realize that being Christian means I need to stay connected to Christ, the sooner it becomes clear. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was sharing these truths on a mountain, and people were listening. They didn't know yet who exactly Jesus was. Now many of them might have had some kind of speculation because He was healing and doing these incredible miracles and they were like going, hey, hey, is this the guy? Is this the real Messiah? Some of you may not know this, but Messiah is Hebrew for the Anointed One and Christ is Greek for the Anointed One. Just two different languages, and that's why we call one Messiah and the other one Christ. Same word. Okay? Kind of like Bob, Richard, Robert. Same thing. So, the truth of the matter is, we do know exactly, you and I, who Jesus is. We do know that He traded His life for mine because of my sin and for yours. They didn't have that knowledge yet. And we do know, and I want everybody to say it with me here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all, ready? Begin. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We also know that Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. I know sometimes life can get hard. It can get confusing. It can get wacko with family. Anybody have any wacko family? Are you the wacko family? Some of my family would say so, Marv. But did you know that no matter how wacky family and friends can be, that God says, I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll always be there for you. I'll always be there for you. Do you know that we also know that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing? John 15, verse 5. And we also know that because of Jesus, that we have the power to do the impossible that is mentioned in the text we just read today in chapter 5, verses 21 through verse 37. We actually can keep the way of Christ, but not on our own. But not on our own but not on our own. There's one of the sadness about 
the body of Christ, especially an older generation and those who may, might even be in their 40s, but they've been in Christ since they were in the nursery. There becomes an assumption that because I've been a part of the body of Christ, I've been a part of the church for all of my life, for all of these decades, that somehow I fit into a certain category. And I like to help people to understand that just because you go to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. How many know that when you go to McDonald's, it doesn't make you a Big Mac? Hello? I go to Taco Bell, it doesn't make me a taco. And just because I go to church, it doesn't make me a Christian. But I've gone a long time. I've gone in and out since I was a little kid. I'm still not a double-double. I might be animal style, but I'm not a double-double. So this reality helps us to understand why this whole passage that we're looking at in chapter 5, that it ends with this incredible statement in verse 37. It says, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Just say yes or say no. You know, God wants us to be people of integrity. Are you one of those people that people can trust that if you say yes, you're going to follow through? If you say no, it's just no. But they can count on your word. They can count on your word. Don't make promises that really aren't going to happen. I remember my little kids when they were little and they would say, Dad, you're going to take us fishing. And I said, on Saturday, I actually, instead of just saying yes or no, I said, well, come here, sit at the table with me. Daddy has these two things that have to get done before Saturday. If these two things get done... We're going fishing. If I can't get these things done because these other people can't get their part done, then I can't take you fishing. Now, do you think a kid cares? They just want to go. So, uh, so here's what I'm going to tell you guys. I'm going to say, no, we're not going fishing, but when those things get done, I'm going to come back and change my mind and say, yes, we get to go fishing today. Why? Because I didn't want my kids to think I was lying. They think if the adult stuff pulls me away to finish up this extra workload, that I lied to them because all, all they know is I either said yes or I said no about going fishing. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. We've got to trust the process of salvation and sanctification. You know, our passage for today, it really is a difficult one. And oftentimes readers will discard in instructions and say, this is just, this is unrealistic. It's too much. It's too hard. Or why would God make this to seem so impossible for us to follow today? I mean, the truth of the matter is there's not a man in this place who hasn't seen a beautiful girl and went, wow. You know, we would all be walking around with patches. 
So why do you think he's putting that kind of thing in the Bible? The same reason he put the one commandment in Genesis, the ten commandments in Exodus. The same reason. So that you and I would realize this is an impossible task to do alone. I can only do this with Christ. So as I said earlier, Jesus helps us to see that it's not just a matter of following the rules, but it's a matter of keeping vigilant and watch over our heart, our mind, our mouths. It's not something you think after the fact. It's stuff you think of way before you get to, the, to that point. It's constant. After all, what does it matter if your righteousness surpasses that of these religious leaders in the Bible, but your heart, your heart's wicked and it's evil? Now, I, I've, I've had people in ministry, man, they were brilliant. I mean, they knew Scripture. They, they knew all the big words and how to do a real proper exegetical and how to do all the hermeneutics. and They have the big word stuff. But they were probably some of the biggest idiots I've ever met in life at the exact same time. They were so heavenly minded, they were absolutely no earthly good. Pastor, what are you trying to say? They didn't know Jesus. Do you know we, in academia we have scholars who are not saved? They have the history of the Bible. They can quote to you when and how everything was and how it was at the time. They're incredible. But they're clueless about having a relationship with God. There's nothing in here. There's nothing here that has transformed. Church. Ask yourself, where are you at really with Christ? Because you can't live Christianity without Him. I mean, what does it gain if I gain the whole world but I forfeit my soul? We've got to be willing to fight this good fight. To keep the way of Christ and to press through every trial, every adversity. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying in this whole passage of 21 through 37, chapter 5. And that's what people listening to him need to hear. I want, I want to challenge you today as we close up this coming week. Ask yourself a few questions, and you can build to this list. I'm sure you got more questions. Ask yourself Do I love my neighbor? Do I love my neighbor or just tolerate them? Am I harboring anger towards others in my heart, in my mind? I mean, somebody that's already dead and gone. Are you still offended at them? Do you harbor animosity towards them? Have I been careless with my eyes? Have I been careless with my emotions? Well, don't get mad at me. I'm just speaking the truth. Really? 
You just cut that person in half with your words. How was that supposed to be just speaking the truth? Do I covet what other people have? And then get mad at God that you don't have more than everybody else? Am I trustworthy? Do I follow through on my word? On my promises? In Christ, we are called and empowered to live a consistent life of faith. We're not called to be great Christians on Sunday morning and all the way through the Sunday lunch hour. And then we get to go back to living hell on earth. That's how a lot of the body of Christ are living. They live one way Monday through Saturday and one other way for the morning afternoon of Sunday. God says, that's got to stop. We've got to learn how to fight the good fight. Just keep the way of Christ. I'm going to close with this little story. There was a uh, children's hospital, and the nurse was, was just so conscientious of her patients being these little children. So whenever she would have to go and check their heart and hear what's going on with their heart, she would go up to the child and she would take off her stethoscope and she would put it in little Hunter's ears and then take the little disc part of the stethoscope and, say, and put it right here on his heart. And then she would say to the child, can you hear that? And every single time, wow, what's that? They're so impressed by hearing the tap, 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 thump 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 well on this one day this nurse never encountered a little boy like hunter put the stethoscope in and this little five-year-old boy put the disc right over the heart and all of a sudden thump 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 and this big frown over this five-year-old boy came upon him and his, his, his little, the little lines on the wrinkles of his forehead and just was staring straight, couldn't figure it out. And he was like, what? And then he smiled with this wondrous smile. And then he realized, he goes, is that Jesus knocking The faith of a child. The faith of a child. That's how simple our faith should be. Is God speaking to me? Is He knocking on my heart today? He's not mad at you. He's infatuated with you. He loves you. He's not here to condemn you. That's the work of the enemy of your soul. Trying to call you this hypocrite, this ugly, evil person. That's not Jesus. He's right there. Saying, oh, child of God, come here. Sit down. Take this lemonade. Let's have a little chat. Talk to me. I've missed you. How's your week been? How's your day going? It says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it's not in your notes. It says, above all else, guard your heart, 
for it is the wellspring of life. The enemy wants your heart. Proverbs 4.23 So guard your heart. The more we spend time in His presence, the more we guard our heart. Do that life journal. Listen to praise and worship music. Be engaged in the body of Christ. And watch what happens to your heart. And before you know it, you just might hear a knock at the door. Lord, I pray blessing upon Your people. Lord, we all have hearts that probably need to be recalibrated here and there. And so, Lord, we seek You. We say, Holy Spirit, come. Help us to understand all of the contrasts in this Sermon on the Mount. How the world looks at things versus how You look at things. Lord, it just seems impossible, but Your Word says I nothing's impossible with you and we can do all things through christ who strengthens us so lord i pray blessing on your people that they would reach out for christ and you would touch them you would give them hope you would give them joy and grace and mercy and they wouldn't feel condemned convict us absolutely lord but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we pray, bless Your people in Jesus' holy name. And we all say, Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.